I ask you to keep your Bibles open, and uh, we, as last week, we'll look at a few other verses of Scripture. So we'll go to Revelation 6 first, if you want to uh, mark that place in your Bible, Revelation 6. We'll look, at a, we'll look there at a few verses. We'll also look in Titus 2. We'll also look in 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll also look in Revelation 7. So we're going to do a little bit of Bible study back and forth a little bit this morning, looking at some cross-reference passages. As we talk about uh, not only the coming of Christ or Advent, but the return of Christ, his second Advent. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help today. Lord, we love you and praise you, and we've had the opportunity, the glorious opportunity to sing songs and to rejoice together, to meditate together about the richness and the glory and the awesome wonder of the coming of the Son of Man into creation in time and space in order to redeem us, to save us from our sin. When we think about the timeline and the events of redemptive history, we think about Christ and we think about his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, and his return those four monumental, eternal events that really make up the history of the world. Everything really revolves around Christ as the centerpiece of creation and his saving activity throughout history around the world and how it will culminate one day in his glorious, magnificent, powerful, majestic, awesome return. And Lord, we get a, a view of that today as we spend this season looking at the manger. We spend our time together in the sermons on Sunday morning looking to the sky And what we see is a wonder and a marvel. It's breathtaking to behold. We look back in history and talk about Christ has come. We look forward and we speak today that Christ is coming. And what a hope and what glorious strength and faith that gives us for this very day. So we just ask God as as we look to your scripture, as we seek to understand it, explain it, apply it, that you would do a work in our lives, increasing our faith, deepening our affection for Christ, increasing our zeal for the glory of God in all things in this life. May we spend this life preparing for the next life that will be forevermore. Lord, build your church today, and we give you glory for everything that you will accomplish. In Christ's name, amen. 
So, so far in Matthew 24, we've discovered that the final age of history is the age in which we find ourselves today. We live in these days the Bible calls the last days, beginning with the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, which occurred in 70 A.D., And then Jesus describes this age. It's going to be characterized by several things, by national turmoil, natural turmoil, persecution of God's people, falling away from the faith, loss of neighborly love. And these kinds of things will always continue in this age, and they'll be much like birth pains. They will increase in frequency and intensity until the gospel has reached every tribe and nation. And Jesus says, then the end will come. And just as the destruction of the temple signified the beginning, the great tribulation will signify the ending of this age. And when this period of tribulation reaches its fulfillment, Matthew 24 says, the son of man will come. There will be another advent. There will be another appearing. There will be another entrance of the Son of Man into time and creation. Remember from last week, Jesus tells his followers, you will not have to wonder, have I returned? Is the Son of Man here? You you, you will not have to be deceived about the coming of the Son of Man because when he comes, everyone will know his second coming. Everyone will be aware. There will be no doubt that the Son of Man has arrived. The King has come. And in today's text, Jesus makes clear why that is the case why his return will be absolutely unmistakable and undeniable. As the Son of Man appears in the heavens, several things also uh, result and happen simultaneously with his entrance that will mark his advent, his second advent into this world. First of all, we see in verse 29, the heavens will shake. The heavens will shake. When the Son of Man re-enters his creation in the heavens, the heavens will shake. When, when Christ steps out of the glory of heaven and enters once again into creation and into time and space, the power and the glory of Christ will be on full display and in full magnitude such that the the very cosmos itself will tremble when Christ steps into creation. Remember he said in verse 27, it's our treasure verse for this month. His coming will be like a, a great lightning flash just as it's visible from the east to the west. Every inhabitant of the earth will be aware that Christ has returned. When we compare his first coming and his second coming, there are many similarities, but there are many distinguishing marks as well. In his first coming, he was found lying in a manger. In his second coming, he will be seen riding on a great white horse. In his first coming, the shepherds and the wise men bowed and worshiped. In his second coming, every knee will bow 
and every tongue will confess him as Lord. In his first coming, you had to travel to Bethlehem to see him. In his second coming, you will only need to look up. In his first coming, the angels sang. In his second coming, the angels shout. In his first coming, it was silent night, holy night. In his second coming, the trumpet call will ring through the heavens. In his first coming, the heavens held a star. In his second coming, the heavens will shake. Look with me to Revelation 6. It also speaks of the effect upon creation itself when its creator arrives. Beginning in verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The very heavens, the very earth will shake as the king arrives. And then the, the Bible says, Jesus says, then, then, then Jesus says, there will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And I thought about that this week. What, what is that sign? I believe what Jesus is speaking of when he says the sign of the Son of Man. He's, he's speaking of the Son of Man himself. There, there will no longer be any need for signs that point to the Messiah, signs that things that prophesy of the coming Messiah, that there will be no, there will be no more pointing and waiting and longing. The Son of Man will be in the heavens. The sign of the very Son of Man will be there to see. Look at Titus chapter 2. This is what we're longing to see. We pay attention to signs, but we're longing for the Savior. We're looking for the Son of Man. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, remember that, all people. And remember in Matthew 24, Jesus has said the gospel will go to every nation as a witness before the end. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, in this age waiting for our blessed hope, which is what? What what is our hope? What are we in this present age longing for, looking for, hoping for, waiting for? Here it is, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for in this age, right here and now. We are awaiting. That's the, that's the thing that we as the people of God await. That's the next thing on the redemptive calendar. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Those are the people that's looking for him. The ones who have been redeemed, the ones who have been reclaimed, the ones who have been transformed, the ones who are uh, eagerly waiting for final, full, complete salvation. They're waiting for that sign of the Son of Man in the heaven. And when he comes, when he appears, the heavens will shake. But secondly, Jesus says, the earth will mourn. Now think about that for a little bit. The earth will mourn. Now there is an aspect, there is a, uh, uh, in, in, in Romans we hear about the, the creation groaning, waiting for redemption. So if creation is waiting for that new heavens and the new earth to be free from the, from, the, from the presence and the effect of sin, and the people of God are eagerly waiting, looking for the, their great God and Savior, the glory of Jesus Christ, then what's happening here when we come to verse 30, then we'll appear... In heaven, the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Who will mourn? All the tribes of the earth. And why are they mourning? Follow me. Remember in verse 14, we mentioned it just a few minutes earlier. Remember in verse 14, Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations. So all nations, all tribes, the gospel will eventually envelop the entire globe and then the end will come. And for sure, every place the gospel advances, it finds those who willingly and joyfully embrace Christ. And that's why in Titus 2, we just, we just read about all people. All peoples, everywhere, people from every tribe and nation are waiting, gloriously saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and waiting full and final salvation upon his return. Every place the gospel goes, the gospel is joyfully received and Jesus is embraced as Savior. But just as certain that many Receive many refuse the good news and reject the Savior. And these are the ones who will mourn from all tribes, from all nations, from all peoples. Those who are mourning are those who did not believe that this would ever happen. Those who are mourning are those who did not want this to ever happen. 
It's interesting that, that every system of belief, even godless systems of belief, they, they all have a way that they see the world is going to end. They just don't see that God has anything to do with it. But in this very moment in time, when the heavens shake and the Son of Man appears in the heavens, all the theories of subjectivism and relativism, all of the ideas that there's an absence of absolute truth, all of those will vanish in one split second when Christ appears. When the Son of Man appears in the heavens, is in that very moment those who have rejected Christ and denounced the faith and mocked the Scripture will understand in one half of a second the Bible is God's revelation. God does exist and the King has returned. His son did come as Savior. His son did come to save. And now he comes to reign. And what I once thought was foolish and nothing more than fable is reality. They will mourn to know Christ is here. And I'm not ready. I'm not saved. Look with me back to Revelation 6. Let's pick up where we left off. And pick up there in verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone... Slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? They will mourn because they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The day of mercy will have come and gone. The day of grace will have come and gone. The day of salvation will have come and gone. And the day of judgment will have come. The application is already here for us just halfway through the sermon this morning. You can be among those who will mourn at his return, or you can be among those who will rejoice, who will welcome, who are eagerly awaiting, who are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. And that's where we go next. Point three, the church, in verse 31, the church will be gathered The church will be gathered, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. 
Not everyone will mourn. The church, the people of God, the, the elect, as Matthew 24 refers, re- will rejoice with great joy when our Savior appears. He will descend from heaven and we will ascend from the earth. When Christ returns, he will gather his people. Think of this, past and present, dead and alive, to enter his kingdom and live forever. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. You are familiar with this passage, I know, but let's look at it together. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. First Thessalonians 4.13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have passed away, who are believers, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him Those who have fallen asleep. So when Jesus comes, they're going to be with him. So that is their spirits. The spirit of the believers are with the Lord in heaven right now. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Lord is in heaven. Those, our loved ones who have passed away in the faith, their spirit is with the Lord right now. And when he returns, they're going to be coming with him. They're going to be with him. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That is, God will raise their glorified bodies and their spirit and their glorified body will be reunited in an instant. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. We will be instantly transformed into our glorified state and we will be caught up together with them. So we will all be together, all the believers with the Lord, transformed, glorified with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. The Paul is saying that's why we don't grieve. Because whether we die or stay alive, no matter what happens to us, we're always with Jesus. We're always with the Lord. So he says in verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. That is, with with the truth of salvation in Christ and what it means whether you are alive or dead. Encourage one another. We may not be alive when Jesus returns But encourage one another with these words. Some of our loved ones may have already fallen asleep, but encourage one another with these words. When he returns, 
He brings our spirits from heaven and unites them with a resurrected, glorified body and will take us home whole, wholly saved, wholly renewed to heaven. Encourage one another with these words. We will face tribulation in this life. We may even face great tribulation. But encourage one another with these words. We will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. We will always be with the Lord. There is coming a reunion that you do not want to miss. Sometimes there are some reunions here on earth that we're not all excited about, are we? Because we're wondering who's going to show up this year and what they're going to bring, what they're going to say, and what they're going to do. But this is a reunion you will not want to miss. Imagine this. Every believer from every age will be there. We'll be gathered for this great reunion with the Lord. Well, let's look at a glimpse of that in Revelation 7, just kind of an, an idea of what this is like to kind of get our mind and the eye of our faith around this. In Revelation 7, look at verse, verses 9 and 10. This is what it's going to look like, and this is what it's going to sound like. After this, I looked. So this is what it's going to look like. After this, I looked, and, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number. Here it is. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and here's what it's going to sound like, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, there will be people from every tribe and nation who will mourn but there will also be people from every tribe and nation who will rejoice. And the difference is those who can see the glory of Christ now and rejoice in it and embrace it and surrender to it and love it and treasure it and those who deny it. So the question comes again by way of application. Do you know him do you know the glory of the Son of God? More importantly, does he know you? Does he know you? Do you just simply associate with him occasionally on Sunday? Or do you follow him as your treasure with your whole heart? Is Jesus a spiritual Santa? Or is he your saving Lord? The church will be gathered. The final thing to think about this morning, we look at this illustration of the fig tree. Jesus' return is absolutely certain. 
And we're going to take Jesus' word for that, not mine. Jesus' word. Verses 32 through 35. You may be thinking, this all sounds too fantastical, Pastor. I mean, sure, I'll go along with the, with the whole Christmas thing because, I mean, you know, it comes with ribbons and bows and carols and plays and nice little nativity scenes. I mean, it's all quite cozy and, and pretty. But all this stuff about Jesus returning and the, the heavens shaking and the, you know, the sun turning dark and the moon turning dark and, and earthquakes and, and all of these things and judgment and wrath, that's, that's, that's just not, I just choose not to believe in that. That's just not the God I believe in. Well, before you totally dismiss what Jesus says about his second coming, let's pay careful and close attention to what Jesus says about what he says about his second coming. Now, that's where he goes next. That's exactly what he, he, he defends what he's just said by defending his statements as absolute eternal truth. So in verse 32, he gives this illustration of the fig tree. He, they would be very familiar with the fig tree in that area of the world. And so he says, you know, it's just, it's just kind of common knowledge. When the, the leaves begin to bud on the tree, you know that summer is just right around the corner. So, so in verse 33, so, so just in, in the same way, when, when, when you see all of these things happening, you, you will know that he, the Son of Man, is, is very near. He's, he's right at the gate. It's right around the corner. It's the season for him. We talk about Christmas being, he being the, the reason for the season. Jesus is saying, when you see these things happening, it's the season. He's, he, he's here. He's, he's getting ready to step across the threshold into creation and gather his people. Now, what things? What does he say when you, when you see these things? What, what things? Well, it's, it's the tribulation that Jesus has just described in verses 21 through 28. What Jesus has just talked about, we looked at that last week. What Jesus just described in verses 21 and 28 means that verses 29 through 31 is the next event. When you see verses 21 through 28, you'll know verses 29 through 31 is right, is next. In fact, he says in verse 29, doesn't he? Immediately after the tribulation of those days. It's the next event. Jesus is at the threshold of heaven and will make his entrance at any moment. In verse 34, Jesus says that the generation that sees this, that lives through this, that experiences this, will be the last generation in history. They'll they'll be the last ones. This generation, he says, will not pass away until it's all completed and everything is wrapped up in history and rolled into eternity. And in verse 35, Jesus says this, 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In other words, Jesus is saying there's no truer thing than you can hold to and believe than what I've just told you. Because what I have just said will never change, will never be changed, will not be undone, will not be deleted, will not be tweaked, will not be changed. This is Jesus' word. Either Jesus is a self-deluded liar or he is Lord of heaven and earth. Either he is returning as he said he would. If he is God, he cannot lie. If he cannot lie, his coming one day will be just like he has described in Matthew 24. Think about it. We, we, we place a lot of trust and a lot of comfort and a lot of security in the, in the things of heaven and earth. We do. We, we put hope and, 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 and we, we plan our future on things of heaven and earth. Why, there, there are even some who, who look to the stars for, for direction in life, and, and those stars are going to fall one day. But, but, but we look to our wealth, we, we, we look to our health, we, we, we look to just about everything around us, and everything around us is going to pass away. Why, why even if the Lord tarries his coming, we, we will all pass away. If the Lord's coming is 100 years from now, none of us will be here talking about it. We pass away. But Jesus and his words will never pass away. You can reject his words, but you can't erase them. You can doubt his words, but you can't stop them. Those who think the return of Christ is foolish today will mourn when Jesus comes. But those who love him and are looking for him will rejoice. So the question comes down this Christmas season to this, won't you trust him today? Won't you give your life to him today? So that on that day you might welcome your Lord and Savior as he welcomes you to life evermore. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and praise you. We thank you for sending your son. If Christ never came, there would be no Christmas, there would be no gospel, there would be no forgiveness, there would be no salvation, there would be no church, there, there, would be no, there would be no hope if he did not come. And yet the same could be, be true if he did not come again. 
there would be no final salvation. There would be no completion to the story of, of, of history, to the story of redemption. There, there would be no final justice. There, there would be no final removal of sin and guilt and shame and death and pain and suffering. There would be no, no final cleansing and, and removal of the, of the penalty and the presence and the power of sin. There would be no new heaven and new earth and, and joy and life forevermore. Salvation complete and final when you send your son again. That's what the the church really is. That's what the people of God really are, those who are between the first and second comings, standing on faith in the first coming and looking up and forward to the second coming. Lord, would you encourage us today as your people to stand firm in the faith and to live with great boldness and courage in this life that others may know this great gospel news that the Savior has come, salvation is available. You can be made new in Christ. And if there's any without you today, Lord, would you lovingly and convincingly open their eyes and their hearts to the glory of your Son that they, that they might see the wonder of the Savior, the sacrifice of the Savior, the salvation that's in the Savior today, today, while today is still the day of salvation. And we ask all of it in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.